All right, Ben, Mike, we're getting the band back together here to preview the Minnesota Vikings draft. That is this week. They sit with pick number 12, and we just heard from first-time general manager Kwesi Adolfo Mensa about a lot of things. Uh, he spent the first seven-and-a-half-minute opener thanking about 27 people. Not about. It was precisely 27 people. Um, through the course of that, just that right there showed the kind of shift in culture that I guess he's trying to instill. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, the culture uh, that is under the Minnesota Vikings, how they're going to approach this draft, what directions we think they might go at number 12, what directions are possible, will they even stay at number 12, and other interesting remarks from Kwesi here. Um, but Ben, let's, and Mike, let's start off, I guess, just with where we think this direction, this franchise is headed under Kwesi. Ben, you had asked him directly what he's emphasizing um, on his draft board, what, what kind of things is he looking to that kind of push prospects up that draft board? And he wasn't going to go so as far as to actually answer that question directly, but that's, Oh the, gosh, no. <laughs> Two days before the draft, I wasn't expecting an answer. That is the time though, that he mentioned, I try to explain that our draft room is like a real life algorithm, which says quite a bit. I think about how the first ever pure analytics GM is approaching this. So Ben, what did you take from that response and just the press conference in general? I I guess what I took from that is, I mean, he talked about that. We should clarify the comment a little bit. He talked about it as taking in different sources of information in terms of, he talked about the analytics people are looking at the actual results in terms of what they did in college, which I, I think is a smart approach to emphasize what a guy's done on a field rather than what we think he could do based on somebody's eye test. But it's that, plus scouts saying, what could he be? And coaches saying, how could I use him? And let's put all of this into a mix and, and come up with a board. I, he's not going to give us the details on how to do that. But the I think the thing I took from that is this process of doing that and getting everybody to buy into it, especially probably in a front office that has been fairly scouting forward and has been fairly traditional, Rick Spielman's uh, – sort of bouquets to analytics notwithstanding, they've been fairly traditional. So you have people who are still from that group that he's trying to get to buy into a different way of doing things. And it's going to be interesting to see in a couple of days here what the results are and kind of to hear over the next course of the weeks and months how people feel about it inside the building. Because we've heard a lot about culture. We've heard a lot about hypothetical ideas. This is going to be one of the first times we see that put into action and we can actually match up what they're saying they want to do with how they actually do it. It's it's I'm looking forward to having something to measure in terms of objective results or uh, as the business culture might say deliverables. So I'm looking forward to the deliverables arriving uh, on the time horizon of uh, Thursday evening. Yeah. Mike, you did talk about, you did mention uh, the Vikings have a time horizon to meet here. He said, we have needs and we'll have to try to address those the best way possible. But um, I do find it interesting that he had mentioned at the top that he never viewed himself as a leader, never really seeing the types of people that, you know, that were in football traditionally in these positions that were like him. Um, so now trying to lead in a manner that's unique in his own, which he called uh, positive, humble, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but Mike, he's the one who's going to have to make the decision. He's the one who's going to have to write the name on the draft card and, and make that decision. Um, so I don't know if you caught much of the press conference, Mike, but what did you think about just his comments today? Yeah, I thought they were interesting and kind of to echo what, uh, what Ben said. I mean, well, first Ben, 
the first I saw of Kwesi saying no no amount of seventh round seventh round picks will ever equal the value of a first round pick that will <laughs> resonate with Vikings fans and Rick Spielman detractors quite well. We can get into that in a little bit, but you know, I think the thing I'm looking forward to kind of echoing what Ben said is um, I think this is the first, one of the first times we're going to get a lot of information about how this group leads, how this group kind of values different things, right? Because, you know, I was kind of thinking about it this morning. I even wrote about it a little bit this morning. It's like, you know, they, they came in and they inherited a whole lot of, you know, whether it's problems, whether it's, you know, good players on this roster, contract situations, like some of what they came into was something they couldn't really change, at least not initially. Like they had to make a decision on Kirk Cousins, but that wasn't just, do you like Kirk Cousins or do you not like Kirk Cousins? It's, you know, the contract, it's, you know, other factors, external factors that, that go into that decision. Same with other roster decisions they've had to make so far. The draft feels different. The draft is kind of like a blank slate to a certain degree. Yes, they have positional needs. Yes, they have you know, things they want to accomplish, holes they have on this roster. You want to match value with need to a certain degree, but it's kind of a blank slate also. Like you get to you get to start to shape the roster in a way you want to shape it. You get to start to you know, put your stamp on what positions you value, what evaluation tools you value and things like that. So that's, that's the most interesting part to me is like, I feel like this is one of the first real opportunities to understand how this regime is going to operate when given kind of full autonomy to make those decisions. Congrats on the new job at Compere Financial. Thanks. It's refreshing to work for a company that gives back. We even get paid time off to volunteer. That's so cool. How are the benefits? Amazing. They have lots of growth and educational opportunities and even provide up to a 9% 401k matching contribution. Wow, they must really care about investing in your future. They do, and with their flexible work environment, I know I'm going to love being a part of Team Compere. To learn more about a career at Compere Financial, visit compere.com careers. Compere is an equal opportunity employer and provider. And we are very, very familiar with how Rick Spielman had a tendency to trade back, wanting more bites at the apple, as he always said, or, you know, just being able to hit on those picks more if you have more of them. And Kwesi was asked, let's get to that right now, because he was asked about just his thoughts on having value in quantity when it comes to this draft, which can be such a crapshoot. But his direct quote was, there's no amount of seventh round picks that will equal the value of a first round pick. You can do that with a thousand seventh round picks, and that's not going to equal the value because there's a specialness that comes with that first round pick that isn't replaceable very easily. Now, obviously nobody's trading a first round pick for the entire seventh round, but the way the Vikings have done this in the past, a second, a third, a fourth, all of a sudden often turned into multiple sixths, multiple sevenths and things like that. And so you can extrapolate that comment to me. It's not just the value of the first round pick, but also at the second, the third. And he's talked in the past at the combine. He had mentioned about, you know, when you address your needs, you want to do them in the high probability areas of the draft. And that to me says exactly what he's trying to say there, which is those the value of those picks and being more sure about what you're getting at those picks is worth it more than taking four or five hacks at, hey, maybe we'll end up with a, a good fifth rounder in Stefan Diggs or something like that. Um, so Ben, I don't know if I'm extrapolating that comment too far, but it seems to me like, yeah, they're not going to necessarily be trying to hammer uh, the fifth, sixth and seventh rounds as they've done so in the past. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was interesting to hear him say that. I think you're right on kind of where it's going. Um, analytics certainly would suggest that trading back in the draft is a good idea to a point that there is generally the data would suggest a, a fall off, you know, kind of around pick 100 or maybe just a little bit after that in terms of where the return on investment starts to drop. And the, the thing that Spielman got right, I think, was the general idea that more picks is better than fewer picks. The place where he was wrong, I think, was in the nuance of how he applied it. He would talk a lot about the draft being lottery tickets and uh, or the more swings you have at it, you know, kind of this idea that would suggest that all of these picks are equal. So the more times you have a chance to pick a player, the more chances you have to hit on somebody who's going to be great, whether that was a misapplication of the idea or it was his own belief that we are so much better at this than everybody else that we can hit on pro bowl level players in the seventh round. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I could, I could see either one of those applying to that specific situation, but yeah, I, I think the, the takeaway from that, and, and it, it obviously has gotten a lot of run on Twitter. I, I tweeted out the quote in part because, you know, I, it was kind of fun. It's a little bit of a, a study in contrast um, of where they have been in the past, but the, the fuller quote, which Kevin Seifert asked him about the, the whole thing that prompted the response this morning, a fuller quote gives you a little bit of an idea that you are not getting the same value of a player. And, and a helpful tweeter, um, Austin Tweets Sports, uh, responded to my tweet with the entire list of seventh-round players that Rick Spielman drafted in his 10 years with full control of the Vikings roster. I, I would argue we could go back to 2007. But I would like to read this list to you guys very quickly to prove the point. And we can see if, if the collective – it's not a thousand, but it's, you know, it's more than 20 um, seventh round picks in Rick Spielman's time. So we can, we can read the whole thing and we'll see if there is a collective value that would equal the first overall pick in the draft. My guess is no. Uh, Kenny there. Well, actually it was only nine drafts because they didn't have one last year anyway. So we're starting back at 2020, Kenny Willekes, Nate Stanley, Brian Cole, Kyle Hinton, Chris Boyd, Dylan Mitchell, BC Johnson, Austin cutting a great American long snapper, uh, Devonte Downs, Stacy Coley, Ifadio Denebo, Elijah Lee, Jack Tocho, Stephen Weatherly, J. Ron Curse, Austin Shepard, Edmund Robinson, uh, the great fundamentals from Mar Stefan, Brandon Watts, Jabari Price, Michael Mowdy, Travis Bond, Everett Dawkins, Audi Cole, and Trevor Guyton. That's your list. That's a lot of defensive linemen, too. Um, <laughs> yes, it wow. Is. Wow. Wow. Um, how to prove the point. I who's think. who's the best? You know, not to, to bog this down too much. Who's the best one out of that group? Was it Stephen Weatherly, maybe? Stephen Weatherly, Shamar Stefan, or Afadio Denebo, probably. Oh, in sure. terms of yeah. return on investment, probably Shamar Stefan. But yeah, you know. <laughs> and and, and J. Ron Curse has developed into somewhat of a player for Dallas, but wasn't too much yeah. for Minnesota. Um, so what you got out of it wasn't a lot anyway. Yeah, that that proves the point right there that, you know, it, would you rather have if that's 20 players, would you rather have 10 fourth, fifth and sixth rounder or third, fourth and fifth rounders as opposed to 27th? You, you might want to now Quasi before the Especially quote, that, 25 and nine drafts is the official count. Oh, my God. <laughs> a lot of hours on a Saturday afternoon in April that we will never get back. <laughs> a lot of conference calls with guys that we've never heard from before. Um <laughs> 
now to, to, to note that Quasi did say before the part of his quote that I read off, he did say volume is really important. So yep. he, he does understand that notion that you're talking about, Ben, obviously that better than anybody that, um, you know, yeah, you do want as many swings at it as you can, but he also talked about the historical benchmark for values at certain picks. And that's kind of a hint at some of the value they're assigning with this. He talked about, you know, in previous jobs, whether it was San Francisco, Cleveland, it was a little bit of his job to start building these draft charts of like, how many points are you going to assign a certain pick in terms of trading picks and all that stuff. There is the old Jimmy Johnson chart, but everybody's got their own versions of these things typically um, that kind of evolve with certain teams. And he talked about a historical benchmark. And I think this is a good jumping off point when we talk about the number 12 pick. He said, there's a historical benchmark of value at each pick at one, two, three, four, that we're trying to reach and that we're trying to hit that with our pick, whether or not we stay at 12 or wherever they end up picking. Now, the question becomes, and the one that he was directly asked is, are there enough top end players in this draft where you could find that and hit that benchmark at number 12? He's not going to come out and directly say it, but we'd also asked him about trading back from number 12. And he basically said, we're going to be ready if somebody calls uh, with an offer and wanting to trade up. Now, it seems like a lot of teams are wanting to trade back in this draft because of that perceived lack of top end talent right now. Um, but I do wonder how likely it is they stay at number 12. And Mike, let's get your thoughts on that. I mean, is there somebody or a player that if they fall, you don't think they'd be able to, to miss on being at number 12 and, and picking right then and there? Well, I mean, you got a lot of options there, but I think, you know, the, the most intriguing name that you've seen mocked to them at 12 is Derek Stingley Jr., right? I mean, a guy who's a high, such a high upside, right? He's, he's such a special player in terms of measurables, in terms of what he accomplished his rookie season, or sorry, his freshman season um, in college. Now, the question is, is he healthy? And the production kind of tailed off when he wasn't necessarily healthy. So, but I feel like it, 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 I feel like this regime is going to kind of run things to a degree where they are kind of he's kind of hinting that they're going to value those potential difference makers, right? That if there's a kind of a tiebreaker between guys they like, that the upside or the potential to be really special might carry the day. So someone like that. To me, if he if he lasts until number twelve, if someone else doesn't grab him before they get to twelve, I feel like that's a that that might be a spot where they have to be like, okay, this guy is a a twelfth pick talent. He might even be a top you know eight pick talent if not for injury questions and things like that. So maybe that's one where you say the the talent and the need match up. But it, it's going to be interesting because you're right. Like if if certain guys are off the board and you're looking at it and you're like, well, we still need a corner and we could do pretty well with this or pretty well with that, but could we still get that if we traded back? That's going to be the question that I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, Ben, I guess same to you. What do you think about where they're at in this draft compared to the positions they they've need and the depth, perceived depth anyway, of the, the pools at each position? Because Quasey seemed to me, just reading between the lines, he seemed to me like he's pretty open to possibly trading back if that's the case. Yeah, I think that's going to be the thing. I mean, Stingley... The idea that Stingley is going to be there, I, I don't think is going to happen. And, and Durante Jones, their defensive backs coach, was Derek Stingley's defensive coordinator at LSU last year. And my sense is they've been in contact. And it, I don't think Stingley expects to be there 
by the time the Vikings pick. So they would have to move up quite a ways to go get him, which I don't think they're going to do. The question then I think becomes, can you move back and still get a guy like Trent McDuffie? Um, you could, you could move down to Booth. I think the, the kid from Clemson probably goes more in the early twenties. You, you could try to move back into that range and take him and still probably have him start day one or at least compete for that spot. I, the question I think is going to be how far do they feel like they can move back and still get the starter? Because the roster to me looks constructed as though they still expect to acquire another corner. I don't think if you look at it the way they're set up right now, that they're thinking they're done adding players that could start a corner, whether that's in the draft, whether that's another free agent into the spring, you know, maybe one that works out better than Bashad Breland did last year. We'll have to see, but it looks to me like they're expecting to acquire another corner. Do you feel like you can move back and still get the guy that you want that's going to start right away? Um, that, that to me is the big question is where is that point that we feel like there's still a representative player here, but we can maybe try to, to push our luck and, and get a little bit more draft capital to work with. Did you guys see a position other than corner that they go with in the first round? I think the other two would be edge rusher. If there's a guy that you like enough, I mean, George Karloftis from, from Purdue, I, I feel like that name is is starting to slide a little bit to the extent that we believe any of this talk about moving up, moving down. I, I think we should treat that with some suspicion, especially this close to the draft. But a guy like that, you could think about plugging in there. Um, does he fit in this defense? I think it's a, an open question. I mean, if somebody like Tavon Walker slides, then you certainly think about doing that. But Edge rusher would be one just to add another player to the group there, especially if you're worried about health of guys like Zedarius Smith and Daniel Hunter. I could see wide receiver. I, I think there's going to be enough talent there that if you felt like there's somebody we can add to this group and give ourselves some cost certainty for the future, it's worth thinking about that because Adam Thielen's contract next year is there's still a lot of guaranteed money on it, a lot of dead money at least, but it's like $19.96 million on the cap hit. And they are probably a year away from making Justin Jefferson paid like a quarterback. So some cost certainty at that spot is going to become more necessary as these wide receiver prices continue to just climb into the stratosphere. So those would be the two, I guess, to my mind that they could look at if it's not a corner. Yeah, Andrew, I was going to answer kind of the same way. I feel like, you know, not just value in this draft and who might be available and also looking at what they might need, but also, you know, something you and I talked about the other day on, you know, daily delivery when we talked about some some draft stuff and kind of philosophy for this team is they this regime certainly seems to value positions that impact the passing game. So if you're talking about you know, edge rusher, that certainly qualifies, right? Because that's, that's disrupting the quarterback. That's, you know, trying to get pressure. That's trying to, you know, whether it's sacks, whether it's pressure that causes incompletions or turnovers, that certainly is impacting both the run in the past, but probably more the pass in, in certain aspects. And then you're talking about, you know, wide receiver, obviously um, impacting the passing game in a huge way and corner obviously does too on defense. So I think what you're not going to see is them taking, you know, a, an interior, um, defensive or offensive linemen um, you're not going to see them you know taking you know a linebacker probably you know they're you're going to see a lot of what these guys value in, in in this draft and I think you know those those three meet the criteria of a what they might need and b what they might value more over the more than other things 
Yeah, they might not be taking another second or third round running back either. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's going to no be the center case. at nineteen. No, yeah, no center at nineteen. Probably not. 18, whatever it was. <laughs> no, the uh, the highest drafted center in franchise history, and it's Garrett Bradbury entering probably just to prove it year. Uh, you would hope if you're the Vikings um, in that final year of his contract now, but um, I guess wide receivers are really interesting. Ben, you brought up the contract stuff, the money, you know, financial security of just taking somebody, um, but the board could fall as such. I mean, if you read a lot of these mock drafts, it doesn't seem like wide receiver is super popular and as a top 10 pick because a lot of teams might think there's a lot of depth there at that spot too, to get day two, day three options. Um, there were eight receivers at the combine who ran four, two or four, three, you can get a lot of speed at different parts of this draft. If that's specifically what you're looking for, which it seems to be, I don't know, Ben, what do you think the Vikings are missing at wide receiver? I know Jeff Jefferson can do it all, but Thielen being 32 KJ Osborne is fast, but he's not the biggest guy. Maybe he doesn't fit exactly the kind of run blocking wide receivers that at least the Rams have been known for. Um, if, if you're projecting a Viking, the Vikings to take a receiver early, what do you think it looks like just in terms of traits? I think somebody that does a lot of what Adam Thielen does, which is probably a lot of what Cooper Cup does, except Cooper Cup is is younger and, and faster, that is 22 and cheaper. I mean, I, I to put a, a to put it in a, a short sentence, it's probably that. I mean, you need to start thinking about somebody that's cheap at that position. And Adam Thielen's story has been a great one in Minnesota. It may continue for a couple more years, but it's hard to see the Thielen-Jefferson tandem lasting much longer without somebody having to bend financially. I, I think, you know, at some point that may be Adam Thielen, but you know, father time is undefeated in the NFL. And I think uh, you've seen some injuries crop up in the last couple of years, not saying Thielen's gone, not saying that that's going to happen this year or even next year, but you have to start thinking about the future there. So I think somebody that does some of those things would make some sense. I think you could also look at kind of a gadgety guy that is able to play in the slot and do a number of different things. I, you know, the, the Rams probably haven't emphasized that type of a receiver quite as much as, you've seen other teams do, but you know, if there was somebody there that could give you that sort of take a, take a five yard hitch route and, and take it 60 or, you know, a guy you can move to different places, you know, some of the Debo Samuel type functions, I, I think that'd be interesting. So, I mean, Chris Olave there would probably be the name, but um, or even Garrett Wilson, I think could be that name as well. But yeah, I think the the first reason to look at it is somebody that does a lot of what Thielen does. That's just, Younger and cheaper. Yeah, I think if we're trying to say it, but that's how the NFL works. I was just going to say, too, and in the meantime, it's there's no crime in having three really good receivers, too. I mean, you if they're going to emphasize the passing game so much and, you know, being throwing a lot more on first and second down, um, then, then you're talking about a team that, that might want, you know, again, Adam Thielen's not going to be here forever, but if you are committed to him and you take – a receiver at number 12 and you have Justin Jefferson, you can be a pretty dynamic passing offense next season. They, they already can be probably. And, you know, depending on how healthy or Smith is, things like that, but you, you can, you can see how, how that could all, you know, lead to even more possibilities on offense. So I, you know, I, I, I see it as both a replacement for Adam Thielen and in addition to 
you know, boy, the next couple of years could be awfully good passing game wise if that's the route they wanted to go. Yeah, Mike, I think you're right. As far as I know, that that idea was recently legalized in Minnesota in this recent legislative session. The idea that you could have three receivers and and open up the passing game, throw on early downs. I, I believe that is uh, now a legal act in the state. So yeah, thanks, I think Governor Walls. Thanks, thanks, thanks Governor Walls. Thanks, yeah. Governor Walls. Yeah. What about what about second and ten? Do you have to run on second and ten? <laughs> Not anymore. No, as far Not as I understand, I, I think the no. uh, the recent bills would tell you that that's yeah. uh, it's okay now. You don't have to. <laughs> a lot of lot of, bi- lot of bipartisan lot of bipartisan support on that one. It was really nice to see both sides come together on on that to get yeah. that done. <laughs> Collaboration is, I think, what you call it. <laughs> that's the new culture here in Minnesota. Throwing on early downs. What what a novel concept. Maybe getting this quarterback and Kirk Cousins and not so many third and longs where, as we know, as a struggle for any quarterback, but especially one who's relatively as immobile uh, as Kirk. So that'll be interesting to see. I want to uh, throw something out there for you guys. A lot of, a lot of draft Knicks and stuff um, seem to think Kyle Hamilton is one of the best players in this draft, the safety out of Notre Dame. I do wonder if, you know, and, and he's often mocked to go right around where the Vikings are selected to pick, whether that's to Washington at 11 Houston at 13. Not too many people seem to think the Vikings would be in the market for him, even though they don't have a starting safety right now, opposite Harrison Smith. It's currently Cam Bynum. So Ben, what do you think about that? Do you think this, you think Quasey and this regime would value that position enough to take that swing early on Kyle Hamilton? So this is, I threw this concept out. Dan Barrero asked me about this yesterday. Uh, when I was on the radio with him and about Hamilton specifically. And I, I said this, and I'm curious to get your take on it too. Um, Hamilton reminds me of the first guy that the Vikings drafted in the Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer era in the sense that positional value may not match up with drafting him that high, but if they did it, it would be a way of them saying, we think this guy fits so centrally to what we do that we're going to take him, even if this spot seems like it's too high for a lot of people to have him go there. And of course the player I'm speaking of is Anthony Barr. Um, If you were to take Hamilton there, I think you would be making the same kind of endorsement that this guy can fit into our defense, can fit into this sort of trying to make the quarterback hesitate for an extra split second so that we can get pressure and maybe create turnovers. We pair him next to Harrison Smith. We think that's such a great idea, such a great combination that we'll draft him this high, even if the safety position is probably not one that is often worth that pick. Because, you know, Quasey talked about the draft being an auction. And in some ways, I think when you value players at this point, especially at certain positions, you have to look at what are we getting that we don't have to pay for? If you talk about opportunity costs, to, to use the economic idea here, if you're at a position where the top players in the market make $25 million a year and you have four or five years of a guy making you know, $4 million a year, that's a big savings. So if you're taking that same pick and using it at a position where guys are only making $8 million a year, that's not a good use of your draft pick, at least from an economic sense. So the Vikings under Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer said, we don't care that Anthony Barr is an off-ball linebacker that's only going to go after the quarterback 20% of the time. We think he fits what we need to do in all of these ways that you can't quantify and that only we really understand. We're going to take him, and we're going to keep doubling down on that by signing him again and signing him again 
So that was the thought process there. I, Hamilton to me is kind of a similar litmus test to how much has this changed or how much is, is some of that the same, right? That that's my working theory on him. Uh, it's a deep dive on one player, but yeah, curious to hear what you think of that. Yeah. I like the analogy kind of the economic thing. Cause you're right. When it comes to rookie contracts, you're trying to get that best deal, especially for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of cap space. Yeah. You know, one that, one that could really use some value there, not only with the position, but with the money that you're going to be spending there and getting Justin Jefferson, for instance, on that first round deal, rookie deal is so great because you're able to, uh, yeah. And, and that's the same with quarterbacks, the same with uh, tackle. It's the same with all these positions that cost so much in free agency edge, edge rusher as well. Um, the safety cost is just not there that they, they don't get paid that kind of money. And I think in part, because when we talk about just the football side of things, Quasey talked about at the combine when asked about position versus t- or, uh, position um, valuation and how he yeah. kind of ranks these positions. He talked about how I look at it as how many people in our organization can that person save when they make a good play. And just from a football perspective, is a safety going to be around the ball enough? Is a safety going to be in position to consistently make a game-changing play, whereas a corner is getting targeted a lot more, a pass rusher is near the quarterback a lot more, a receiver could get schemed the ball a lot more, an offensive tackle could block the opposing pass rusher a lot more, and a quarterback obviously touches the ball every time. So I think right. these, these positions are so much more inherently valuable on a football field, not only economically, but just in terms of playing the game. And so yeah. that, that's why I don't see it. I, unless they view Hamilton as a kind of guy that, you know what, we're going to make him our slot corner. We're going to make him our de facto drop him in the box right. kind of safety. I don't see the, the value of it there unless he's doing much more than just being a back-end safety because – Right now, you've got a kid in Cam Bynum who seems certainly smart enough to just read and react and do the things you might want him to do back there uh, and, and, and have Harrison Smith be the guy who's actually dropping in and doing the things that maybe a Kyle Hamilton can do. So I, I guess I would agree with you there for yeah. all those reasons. Yeah, and, and I think that the idea of how many players can you save, like we know that there are going to be times where a deep safety can prevent a touchdown pass. There are certainly those moments in a game, but we're not talking about three or four plays in a game here. We are talking about when you're, when you're measuring the value of this, we're talking about dozens of plays during a game where a, a, an edge rusher can be near the quarterback that may affect something that a corner having good coverage on a receiver can change the way a quarterback goes through his progressions. That may affect things. We're talking about a larger sample than just the, oh, what about that one play that the safety made to, I mean, the Harrison Smith in the end zone against Pittsburgh last year, game-saving play. Yes. Um, Are there 12 or 13 plays in a game that you'd point to where his assignment, and it may not even be a highlight play, but him doing his assignment correctly can save people and and change the game. I mean, yes, in, in one sense, if you have safeties blowing coverages, we've we've seen that at times. We saw what that looked like, I think, early in the Mike Zimmer era, certainly at the end of the Leslie Frazier era, where safeties blowing coverages and things, people running wide open. But the overall point is the volume of it. How often does this happen? And that's probably why safeties don't get valued quite to the same degree. And I, I, yeah, I think the Hamilton pick, if they made it, is going to be a really interesting litmus test for some of these ideas. All right. Uh, what other needs do they have that maybe we could see not just the first round, but second or thirds 
that, that they could be going for. Um, we've talked about wide receiver, corner, edge rusher, but beyond those top three, uh, what would not surprise you to see them make a pick in those second and third rounds in terms of positions? I mean, an interior lineman is, is still a need. Do you draft one that high? I mean, I think you probably get to a point where you say you have to. Um, if you want somebody that's going to come in and play, but a guard, I think would be the, the one spot on the offensive line that you still say we need somebody right now. I mean, if you had a center, you liked, then probably you think about that because Garrett Bradbury is not going to be picked up on that option. And Garrett Bradbury may not be here after this year. So I could see that. I think, um, you know, a running back, not in the second or third round, um, later, I could see taking one because Alexander Madison hits free agency after this year already. It's kind of crazy that that we're already at that point, but we are. And Dalvin Cook is expensive and is, I think, 26, 27 years old. So you have to start thinking about the future there. So if you found somebody in the fifth round that you liked, that you could at least get into the mix. And Kenny Wongu may be that guy. But somebody like that, I could see. Um, I'm curious to to see well uh, the other one i i would say is tight end but um i'm curious to see how they treat the quarterback position i'm curious to see if their thought process on that is different than rick spielman's because i think philosophically there's a good reason that it should be yeah that'll be i mean with them bringing back everybody you know status status quo at that position that would be interesting i would also throw in their interior defensive line when you're going to be in your base when you're going to be in your base playing you know five wide with you know hunter and smith on the edges Right now, Armand Watts is the penciled in, you know, third starter in that yeah. three, four defensive end spot. So in uh, Tomlinson, Dalvin Tomlinson's in his final year under contract. So is Armand Watts. He's a defensive end. That's the other question with Tomlinson, I think, because yeah. somebody has to. Say that again? Oh, that, yeah. Somebody so they, has to be. I mean, yeah. in a three, four, if, if Harrison Phillips is the nose, somebody's got to play in. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can fudge the technique a little bit, I get, but. Yeah, and I think the good thing with him, at least, he's had some experience in New York playing those kinds of systems. I think they had him in a 3-4 early in his career, and he did a little bit of that. So maybe he's got some familiarity with it, but I wouldn't be shocked to see them take a swing at a second or third round interior defensive lineman just to build up some some depth there. Um, And maybe somebody who's known for a little bit of pass rush instead of just another nose tackle. (laughs) I don't know if they're going to end up doing that. Uh, Tight end's the interesting one, because right now the only tight end signed beyond this year is Johnny Munt. So that's a freezing already too. Gosh, that goes fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I I wouldn't be shocked to see them try to take a swing at maybe a guy who could be a similar move tight end. If they don't think Irv is going to be that guy uh, in his NFL career. So that wouldn't shock me either. Um, Let's quickly get to one question I got sent from Danny, our avid listener on the podcast. He wants to know, Quasey called this a competitive rebuild. What kind of pick at number 12 would reflect that? Now, he brings up a guy like Jamison Williams out of Alabama, the wide receiver who tore his ACL in the national championship game. He says a player like that who can maybe help you um, more in the short term but might or might be more of a longer-term pick as well. So if they're viewing this as a competitive rebuild, I guess just generally, Ben, do you think that alters their approach to this draft? Would they want to get somebody who's more ready to help right now or maybe ready to help down the road? Yeah, I mean, I would I would look at competitive rebuild as them doing what they've been doing the last few years, where it's, hey, we have immediate needs. Let's take the best player we can find that helps us start at that position right away. I mean, all of their first round picks the last few years have been to meet immediate needs. 
they have had something to do with a need they have and an expectation that that player can come in right away. So if it's that, it, I mean, it's, I think it's still a corner. I mean, the, the immediate need is a corner. I, I think the, the nice thing for, for Quasi Adolfo Mensa this year is that you can pick a corner and say, yeah, it's high positional value. You can defend it from, you know, the analytically aligned take, but also say we need a corner right now. So I think it's that I, I you could make a case for an interior alignment, I suppose. Um, it, it, if they took one at 12, then if it's Tyler Linderbaum or something, then that would be the, that'd be the, the Rick like pick, I suppose. But um, no, I think it's still a corner. I mean, if you're talking about a, a guy that can come in and compete and help you be competitive in your competitive rebuild, I think it has to be a corner. And that serves two fronts, right? That serves, we need it right now. And y'all, we also yep. need it down the road too. <laughs> yep. Patrick Peterson getting older and under contract for one year. So I, yeah, I just, everything screams that, but maybe they go wide receiver. Maybe they go a different position, edge rusher, defensive lineman. We'll have to see. Uh, we will be here for you guys at StarTribune.com covering all of that um, uh, for the newspaper and also recapping the NFL draft on the Access Vikings podcast sometime this weekend. So please make sure to check out StarTribune.com and all of our podcasts.